we look at the first Christmas story, the real Christmas story, we see the God who revealed himself to us. He is the Yahweh who remembers. He is the one who didn't want to leave us without hope. He is one whose righteousness, unlike ours, is full of mercy. He came to us as a newborn baby in our world living among our lives. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Reach out to Him this Christmas season. He came to earth for you. So are you in the Christmas spirit yet? I'm, I'm struggling to get there myself, and I have it based on good testimony that there are other brothers and sisters here that aren't quite there yet. Sometimes I get in the Christmas spirit in September, and then by the time it gets here, I'm already done already. This, uh, this morning, I want to start the first of our Christmas sermons for this season to help you get in the spirit of Christmas and to help you start thinking about what God did for us. Now, these sermons are going to be different from what we normally do in two different ways. First of all, we're interrupting our series on Thessalonians and we're going to be doing these Christmas messages through the month of December, and we'll come back to Thessalonians after the turn of the year, just in time to tell you how to get to heaven when Jesus comes back. I'm sure you're going to want to know that. The second thing that's going to be unusual about these messages from what we normally do is that our normal preaching, we've been taking one passage of Scripture and working through those single passages of Scripture. We've gone through the book of 1 John that way. We've gone through the book of Galatians that way. And we're about two-thirds of the way through the book of 1 Thessalonians that way. But these Christmas sermons, we're going to do a little bit different. These are, if you don't mind the technical term, what preachers call topical expository, topical-expository. That may sound like a strange term because usually sermons are either topical or they are expository or maybe there's something else. Topical usually means that you start with a theme and then you pull together whatever scriptures, whatever ideas you want to throw into the bucket to make that sermon. Um, there are pluses and minuses to that. Um, the minuses to that, I feel like people don't come away from topical preaching having a good sense of knowing what's in the Bible. Uh, you can listen to that kind of preaching for years and not be able to connect dots in the things that you've heard or know how to go back into the Bible to find what you've heard. Expository means to expose, to take a passage and just work through it and as Philip the deacon did with the Ethiopian on that one day in the book of Acts. He explained its meaning. And that's what expository attempts to do. When you tie those two terms together, what it means is that you have an idea, something that you're, you're focusing on, but you've got a couple of different passages of Scripture that are going to come together to make up that same piece. And the distance, the difference between that and pure topical is really how much Scripture is involved and how the passages are connected. Today, we're going to talk about the announcement. The announcement. The announcement that was made 
to a very young woman living in a very tiny town a long time ago. You know, I started listening to some of the sermon recordings that we've done here at GWCC and just listening to it myself, and I wrote the silly things. But one of the things that became very, very clear to me, and I've encouraged people to do this for years, but I could see how true it is, these sermons are going to make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along in your Bible. Uh, If you don't, you may lose track of where we are or what we're talking about or what we're focusing on because sometimes there's a lot of information. So I'm in the Gospel of Luke. That's the third book of the New Testament. I'm in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And this is the first of four passages that we're going to go through today to make clear what God announced and what was the effect of the announcement. I hope today when you leave that you'll be even more amazed at what God has done than you have been before. In Luke chapter 1 verse 26 we read in the sixth month Right off the bat, you're going to want to say the sixth month of what? Is that the sixth calendar month? Is that the sixth? It's actually six months since Elizabeth, who is a relative, maybe a cousin or an aunt of Mary's. It's the sixth month since Gabriel told her husband that she was going to conceive a child. That child that you and I would come to know as John the Baptist. It sounds like that conception happened very quickly after Gabriel told the old priest Zechariah that it was going to happen. So it's actually in Elizabeth's sixth month that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Gabriel is one of only two angels we know by name in the whole Bible. Now, there are some religious organizations that have put together fantastic charts and lists of many, many angels. But in the Bible itself, we know of two angels, Michael and Gabriel. Gabriel, we first meet in the Bible in the book of Daniel, chapters 8 and 9. Here, we see him for the second time in the book of Luke, The first time we saw him in the book of Luke, he actually was speaking to the old priest Zechariah in the temple and telling him that his old wife was going to have a baby. I like the name Gabriel. It is a Hebrew name of two parts, Gibor, Yel. Gibor means mighty man or hero. So basically, Gabriel is... God's Arnold Schwarzenegger angel. He's a big, brawny angel, a heroic angel. He was sent from God to a city of Galilee. Galilee is the northernmost of three states in the Holy Land. The bottom state where Jerusalem is located is called Judah. The middle state is called Samaria. And the top state is called Galilee. This is hillbilly country for the Jews. Up there, they sometimes go to the temple when they want to attend the feasts, but most of the time they stay home and either fish or they do construction. That's Galilee. Nazareth 
is a very small town. I like to make jokes about how small Nazareth was. The truth is, is that a historian named Josephus gave a list of 75 towns and villages in the Holy Land, which is only 100 miles long. And Nazareth is so small, it didn't make the list of the top 75 largest towns and villages in the Holy Land. So Nazareth is podunk. If you fall down, you're outside of it. Just kidding. That's how small it is. You're talking small. Now, it's about 15 miles from the south end of the Sea of Galilee. In that part, the Holy Land is actually only about 30 miles across, which means Nazareth is close to halfway, halfway from the Sea of Galilee. It's about in the middle. So you've got this tiny little town to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed. That's a Jewish word for engaged. But among the old Jews, betrothed is like really, really engaged. To break that engagement requires a certificate of divorce. If one of the fiancés dies before the wedding, the other fiancé is called a widow or a widower. So Jewish betrothal is tighter, stronger, firmer than the way you and I normally think of engagement. She was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. People have wondered, did this expression of the house of David apply to Mary or did it apply to Joseph? We now know that it applies to Joseph. Mary is related to Elizabeth, who is from the house of Levi. She's of the line of the high priests. Joseph is a member of the family of King David, which means he's of the tribe of Judah, where all the kings come from. Now remember those two names, Levi and Judah, because among the Jews there are 12 different tribes. And out of those 12 tribes, only one of them produces priests, Levi, and only one of them produces kings, Judah. And that's Jesus's mommy and daddy. Mary is from the tribe of Levi. Joseph is from the tribe of David. It's fun to do the math on that because to have one of them is a one out of 12 shot. To have both of them is one out of 132. And to have both of those and have King David's line be that of the father is one out of 264. So you're batting some very interesting odds having Jesus come from the home that he came from. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now some of you have heard the famous Roman Catholic prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace. This is that text, Hail Mary, full of grace. The old Catholic translation can make it sound like Mary is the one who pours out grace on everyone else. As you can see from these more modern translations, that's actually backwards. 
Mary is receiving grace from God to be the mother of Jesus Christ. She is not the fountain of God's grace to everyone else. That is not what Gabriel says. What Gabriel says is, Mary, I am here because you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord and he is bestowing grace upon you. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying. That seems to be the typical response of human beings when they encounter angels. <laughs> angels are universally in the Bible terrifying <laughs> when we bump into them. She was greatly disturbed at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, this is now the third Christmas time, fear not. I love the fear nots of Christmas. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. I feel like I need to hear that from God over and over and over again. Do you? Stop being afraid. Stop fretting. Stop being anxious. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? Don't have anybody in my family named Jesus. Jews always pick a name from the family. Why this name? You will call his name Jesus. We're very used to this name Jesus. It's actually the Greek expression of the Hebrew name, Jesus. We're used to hearing it as Jesus. The Hebrew name that corresponds to this is either Joshua or Jeshua. One of those two sayings, Joshua or Jeshua. And since neither Hebrew nor Greek actually has a J in it, it's actually more like Yeshua or Yeshua. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Yeshua. That would be Yeshua HaMashiach. You want to say that with me? Yeshua HaMashiach. That means Jesus the Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. Now you know how his name and title came to his own people. He will be great. I want you to notice that when Gabriel says he will be great, he just puts it right there. There's no qualification at all. When Gabriel told Zechariah that his son will be great, he says he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And there's a qualifier on it, in the sight of the Lord. What we have here with the announcement of Jesus has no qualifier on it. It's just the absolute expression, he will be great. As different as a Messiah is from the prophet. He will be called great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Oh, this is a fulfillment of the old kingdom prophecy. See, way back when... God's kings of the Jews fell into evil and weakness and they fell away from God. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, God said, this line of kings will not continue. 
And then in the next chapter, Jeremiah 23, he said, but I will raise up a branch from David. I will bring back the line of David. I will raise up the branch and he will be my king and the kingdom of David will never end. God will give to him the throne of his father David. That's over 600 years before this message. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary is a very devoted young woman. She is practicing faithfully the custom of virginity among her people. When she will later sing her song, which we're not going to go into today, she quotes no fewer than 14 passages out of the Old Testament when she sings that song. She knows her Bible. She may be 15 years old. She may be 16 years old. But she knows her Bible. And she has devoted herself to the Lord. And she never expected to be noticed by anyone. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's an interesting thing that this happens in a period of history when both the Greeks and the Romans had this idea of their deities coming to earth and having sex with human beings and producing God slash children. Demigods. That was widely known. Mainly because the gods of the Greeks and the Romans couldn't stay faithful to their wives. But this language here is very different from all that paganism. It's very different from, from all that faithlessness and unfaithfulness. In fact, what we've got here is we've got a language of creation. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. If you go back and look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you will read where in the beginning of creation, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit being present and hovering over the face of the waters. And it is the Spirit of God that produces this creation, this child that's going to be be formed in Mary will be an act of creation from the Creator God. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. We've got two promised children at the same time. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. You may want to memorize verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. (laughs) Say amen, somebody. Cool. And Mary said, and I would suggest to you that this is the response that God is looking for from all of us this Christmas time and forever. Mary now says, behold. Gabriel has said behold multiple times. Now, Mary says, Behold, I am his bond slave. I am God's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. One of the most important things that we can help people understand is that submitting ourselves to God often, 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 
does not make things easier. It does not put some kind of divine magic wand over our lives so that obstacles just fall away. In fact, sometimes it may feel like I do when I sit on my couch after my wife's little dogs have been there and I feel like I'm just picking up everything. (laughs) Sometimes our lives can feel like that, as if they attract difficulty. Mary says, I am the handmaiden of God, and beginning with this moment, her life will experience challenges that she would not have received if she had not submitted to God. But she also says from now on, all human beings will call me blessed because she gets to walk very, very closely with God and be part of his kingdom, part of his ministry. Jump back with me now to Matthew chapter 1 and let's see what this wonderful, shiny, religious announcement did to this young couple. Would it surprise you to know that this wonderful, pure, innocent young woman who has been memorizing Scripture, has been faithful in her betrothal, has been completely committed to doing right in everything that she's done, that her fiancé did not believe her. It's not going to take you long to imagine what things suddenly became like between that young woman and that however old Joseph was, man. There was love there. There was an understanding of commitment. There were plans for the future. There was an ideal of what their family could be. They had plans. They had dreams. And suddenly, we read here, and Mary was found to be pregnant. Look at Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament, beginning in verse 8. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, to, uh, I'm sorry, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how these conversations happen. I don't know how many people besides Joseph and Mary knew that she was now pregnant. I don't know. We don't have that information. I don't know what she tried to say to Joseph. I don't know how Joseph reacted. But the one thing we do know is that Joseph didn't believe her. He didn't believe her. Imagine how she would feel. She's been faithful. She's been virginal. She's been studying her Bible. She's been doing everything she can to be as straight as she can. And this man that she loves, that she was planning to make her life with, doesn't believe her. She said yes to God. And the first thing it does is drop a rock right in the middle of her relationship. And her husband Joseph, notice that he's already called her husband. I told you Jewish betrothal was strong. Her husband Joseph being a just man. Use the word righteous there if you want. Being a righteous man. I want you to notice something here about how the word righteous is used in this verse. This is maybe my favorite verse on righteousness in the whole Bible. And there's some neat ones. But I love this one here. Because you and I, when we think of righteousness, I think very often we think 
of somebody who keeps the rules. Sometimes righteousness in our history, in our culture, doesn't sound very nice. It can sound loving, I mean unloving, unmerciful, judgmental, hyper strict. But look how Joseph's, look how Joseph's righteousness is described here. And remember, he doesn't believe she's been faithful. He doesn't believe what she's been saying to him. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame. See that mercy? Joseph's righteousness is described by his mercy. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that... Don't you wish that the righteousness of God's people would always have been described that way? Instead of lusts looking like the worst pains in the back on the whole block? Because I think that's the reputation we have, isn't it? Joseph's righteousness... He was unwilling to shame her, even if he felt she deserved shame, maybe. He still cares about her too much to shame her. And he doesn't know maybe why she's telling him this story. And he doesn't know maybe why, how could she do whatever he thinks she did. But he doesn't want to shame her. He resolves to divorce her quietly. Can you imagine? They've got a betrothal. You know that Mary's got to know that Joseph is now planning to put her away, to write her a certificate of divorce. You know that in that town, she'll never get over the stigma. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... I wonder, I wonder how that must have affected Joseph. I bet, I bet the only time Joseph has ever been called son of David is when he was a kid in synagogue. He's a construction worker. Nobody looks at Joseph as son of David. He's known as, hey, you, pick this up. You know? But the angel greets him with this title, not of nobility, but of royalty. Joseph, son of David. And what does he say next? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. That just almost chokes me up every time. Christmas exists because we have difficult lives in a dark world. You're going to meet all kinds of people this season who are depressed because it's Christmas time. And they're depressed at Christmas time because they now have the idea that if it's Christmas, everything should be shiny and happy. My life should look like a Thomas Kincaid painting. But I've got people who have died at this season. Maybe I've got a partner who left me at this time of year. Maybe I've got a, a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle who's dying this season. Maybe I've lost my job. I don't know how to pay for Christmas. And people are saying, it shouldn't be like that. It's Christmas time. What if the reality is, is that Christmas time has always looked like this? What if the truth is Christmas has always looked like the human condition? And that's precisely why we needed Christmas. 
don't be afraid. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, what she was telling you is true. <laughs> Gabriel, you sometimes see Gabriel get an attitude. You know, he got an attitude with Zechariah, the old father. I'm kind of a, I've got this whole drama playing out in my head where he's mad at Joseph because he didn't, why I oughta, you know, <laughs> because he wouldn't believe Mary. But he doesn't. He says to her, she will bear a son and you will call his name Ralph. Wouldn't that have been a mess? <laughs> tells Mary to call him Jesus and tells Joseph to call him Ralph. That would have been a mess, wouldn't it? No, he tells Joseph the same thing he told her. You will call his name Yeshua. And Joseph gets the full explanation. And guys, this is sweet. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. And here's where Matthew, the gospel writer, steps in. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That's something you don't see every day. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The God who is with us. Studying, studying Hebrew. Hebrew was harder for me than Greek. The vocabulary is twice as large because the Old Testament is so long and the letters never quit looking strange. I always felt like I was reading Klingon when I was trying to read Hebrew. But when you get to study Hebrew, this name, Emmanuel, suddenly looks so incredibly simple because the word with in Hebrew occurs as often in Hebrew as our word with occurs in English. You see the word im, 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 im. Every time somebody does something with this or with so-and-so or with whatever, the word with is the word im. And then you put a first-person plural ending on it, it's still just as cozy as an old shoe. Imanu. Imanu. With us. And then you put the L on the end. Imanu. L. It's simple. It's common. It's a nickname of God for the streets where we say He is here because He wishes to be with you. This is the God who is with us. Not the God way up there that I can't reach who doesn't care how I feel, but the God who is with us. Now, I'm going to take you back and I hope this is not obscure. I want you to jump, jump back to the next to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. And you may notice the wonderful parallel here that God's first message of Christmas came to a man named Zechariah. And 500 years before the angel spoke to Mary, he spoke to a prophet named Zechariah. I love this name. The name Zakar means he remembers. Zakariah means Yahweh remembers. God hasn't been speaking to his people for over 400 years, but he remembers. Let me introduce you to this guy. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. 
Then he showed me. What is the name of the high priest? Then he showed me Joshua. In other places, this same high priest is called Jeshua or Yeshua. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's what Satan does to you and to me. He keeps reminding you of all the reasons that you're not fit. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. God says, I chose Jerusalem. Is not this a brand? He's talking about the man, and a brand is a burning stick. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? I don't know how this high priest Joshua, and this is back in the days following the Babylonian captivity, they're trying to rebuild Israel after it had been totally destroyed. There was no temple, there was no palace, there was no wall. And there's a brand new high priest, but Satan's got an accusation against him. Is not this man a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua, thus high priest, this is not the Joshua who followed Moses. That's another almost thousand years before. Now Joshua standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. I just want you to know that filthy garments is a polite way to say this. Okay? If I were going to use the most tasteful expression I could, I would say he was covered with sewage. So anyway, the spiritual picture that this guy is going through right now is not great. Have you ever felt like you were covered with sewage? <laughs> because that's where this high priest is. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. No, give it back. No. God has taken his... What was Joshua's iniquity? We don't know. We do know that under his leadership, a whole bunch of the Israelites had gone out and married a bunch of pagan wives. So maybe he had been too soft on letting that happen. Maybe he had married a pagan wife himself. Maybe God was mad because he was too slow to rebuild the temple. I don't know. But somehow this man ended up with an accusation against him. But God says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And he said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, that's the God of the armies, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you will rule my house. Okay, now that's interesting. Because priests don't usually rule the house. They lead the temple. You shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Here now, Yeshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a what? A sign. God says to him, you and your friends... You are a sign. I'm going to use you for a symbol. You're not going to be the thing itself, but I'm going to use you as a symbol of something else. Huh. I will bring my servant the branch. 
the branch. That's the prophecy of the returning King David kingdom. Jeremiah 23. Why am I talking to a high priest about the fulfillment of a king prophecy? This is a high priest, tribe of Levi. I'm talking about a king prophecy, tribe of Judah. Never the two mix or mingle. When a king tries to play priest, they get slapped. Usually put in time out with leprosy or something. Okay? That's what happened to King Uzziah. He tried to play high priest. He got smacked with leprosy. So, how are you going to be the branch, your high priest? For behold, on the stone that I've set before Yeshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, perfect vision, I will engrave its inscription, read this, guys, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. There is a day coming when all the wickedness will be struck out on one day. And it's going to be associated with the person I call the branch. The returning Davidic king. And for some reason I'm talking to the high priest about it. Come with me to chapter 6. We're about ready to wrap up here. But I want to give you a Christmas present today. And it's made out of silver. And it's made out of gold. Zechariah chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9. I guess Purnell you know what you can buy. All right. (laughs) <laughs> but that's good <laughs> tell her the first year is paper okay <laughs> the word of the Lord came to me Zechariah chapter 6 verse 9 friends when I first discovered this prophecy I had tears on my face and I hope you can see why and the word of the Lord came to me take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah and Jediah You know what we know about these guys? Nothing. (laughs) These guys aren't mentioned anywhere else. For all I know, this could be Larry, Moe, and Curly. We we know nothing about these guys. Heldai, Tobiah, and Jediah. One thing that we know is that they're friends of this high priest that we've just finished reading about. Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah who have arrived from Babylon and on that same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. If you need to name any babies soon, you've got quite a list right here. Take from them silver and gold, silver and gold, and make a crown. Now there's all kinds of interesting, interesting things here. Because for one thing, silver and gold are hard to put together. Silver and gold are very, very different metals in the way that you work them. Silver, you heat, it becomes liquid. And as it's cooling, it comes into kind of a plastic state for just a little while. And you have to shape it quickly while the silver is in the process of cooling. Gold, you can pour into a mold and make a shape out of it. You can hammer it. You can do all kinds of things with gold. Silver's a pain. And yet we're going to make one object out of both. And this crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. You know what? High priests didn't wear crowns. This word here in Hebrew, tesseret, is never used for the headpiece of a high priest. Never. It is only ever used for the head of a king. Make a crown of two parts, silver and gold, And say to him, thus says 
Yahweh of the armies. That's supposed to get our attention. Behold the man whose what? Do you see it in the text? Whose name is the branch. This high priest who just happens to be named Joshua, Yeshua, Jeshua. His name is the branch. Put this two-part crown on this high priest, this crown made for a king, for he shall branch out from this place, that's Jerusalem, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. God's changing the rules. God's changing the rules. He's making a crown of two parts. One part high priest, one part king. Levi and Judah coming together in leadership of the nation so that the sin of the nation will be struck down on one day. And there shall be a priest on his throne. A priest on the throne of David. And the council of peace, there will now be union, council of peace between the two. Levi and Judah will now come together. There will no longer be division between who leads and the call of faith. That will now be made one. And that crown, that crown part silver, part gold, part priest, part king, put on the head of a man named Yeshua, whose name will be the branch. That crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a what? A reminder. A reminder. Why? Because Yahweh remembers. Zachariah. Yahweh remembers. I'm not forgetting that I've told you this. I told you my, my Davidic kingdom would last forever. And it will. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Merry Christmas, Glenn Burney. You are those who are far off. And you have been called by... <laughs> the one who is both high priest and king, who struck down the sin of our land in one day, you have been called to build the temple of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, what an amazing, an amazing prophecy. You told us the name of your Messiah before he even came. Father, you let us know why you gave the name and you gave the detail that there would be no more sacrificial system after, but that he would take care of it all.
That was your son sent to young Mary, sent to frighten Joseph, our Savior, come at Christmas time. We pray to you in his name. Amen.